1: The latest on the Kansas State Wildcats from the guys of 3Maw. John Kurtz, Derek Young, and Cole Manbeck, who will get you caught up on all the things going down in Manhattan. The latest news, top stories, and insider perspectives to keep you in the know. Make sure to hit the follow button so you don't miss anything. 3Maw is proudly presented by Holiday Distillery and their vast assortment of spirits. And now, the latest episode of 3Maw. Welcome
2: in to another three-month podcast. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young from K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, although these days he is uh, taking down the beat writers of the world, as he was doing right before he hopped on here with us. Uh, the show brought to you by 360 Vodka uh, from Holiday Distillery, also Ben Holiday Bottled and Vaughn Bourbon. Uh, I believe they've got another bourbon on the way as well that I was just reading about in my... email. So uh, I suppose stay tuned for that. But Anyway, uh, Holiday Distillery, great K-State supporters. They support our podcast, so please support them. Big 12 tournament this weekend, boys. Uh, That means that you need to be stocked up on your Ben Holiday bottle and bond bourbon and your 360 vodka. So get that all ready to go. And then uh, I assume we all just reconvene at uh, the artist formerly known as Sprint Center a couple blocks away from where I sit right now. Uh, K-State does lose to West Virginia but how, how are we feeling? What's the what's the temperature here? Let, let's do like a vibe check, all right? The kids do a vibe check. We'll start with D.Y., your your vibe check on K-State heading into uh, the most anticipated postseason that this team has played in quite a while.
3: Yeah, vibes are still high. Uh, I know that they lost to West Virginia after a four-game win streak that included wins of the Oklahoma schools, Iowa State, and Baylor, but... Uh, Nothing about the West Virginia game was really discouraging. For me, it's kind of how I expected it to unfold.
4: Yeah, no negative vibes here, John. Uh, I, I expected going into the West Virginia game that they would probably drop that one, and West Virginia shot out of its mind. I mean, Eric Stevenson made some tough shots. Now, yeah, K-State didn't play great defense at times, but they they made tough shots. And when you factor in that Desi Sills wasn't available to I mean, it's it's going to be a very hard place to win. Senior day, six seniors that play meaningful minutes for them. NCAA tournament locked up. If they win, they know that. One of the largest crowds they've had in a long time. You factor all that together, like you expect to probably drop that game, and, and K-State did. So not nothing overly alarming. They turned it over too much, but I think having Desi Sills would have helped limit that a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't take too much from that. then to go four and one over the last five games entering the Big Twelve tournament. I, I think you feel pretty good about that. Would
2: agree. I mean, it, it I said going into the game, like it's kind of nice because I really don't have the same stress level that I that I would for a game because it was like from K State standpoint, I mean, yes, would have been nice to have it for the pursuit of a two seed, uh, both in the Big Twelve tournament and in the NCAA tournament. Um however it's like, you know, you weren't going to win a conference championship. That was out the window. Uh, so it just felt like this game standing in the way of all the postseason basketball, which is going to be really, really fun. And you knew West Virginia needed it badly. It was their senior day. Uh, you knew that they were going to come fired up like they needed it for the NCAA tournament. So nothing really surprised me. And yes, I, I think we did learn that Desi Sills is is quite valuable. Honestly, I mean, maybe one takeaway from that game is like Desi was a snub from getting some audible mention all Big 12 recognition if if he's going to affect K-State like that when he's out. But yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling all right. I, however, I guess I say all that to say. Once we got into the game, there were moments of the game where you know I was I was a little frustrated. It was frustrating to watch, especially jumping out early in the first half. But I mean, West Virginia just got red hot, and they also got. I know I'm, I'm not going to be like complain about the ref guy. When I say like favorable whistle, it was just favorable in the fact that they let them play. Uh, it was it was a pretty physical game, and they weren't overly whistle happy. Which, if you're Bob Huggins and you play that style, it's going to be a real problem. Uh, if you do and that, that certainly was not the case.
3: Yeah. The whistle whistle was conducive to uh, West Virginia's style. And uh, they're obviously, they've been this for years. They're a ball pressure team. And you play a ball pressure team without one of your better guards, you're in trouble.
4: And, and I think, John and Derek, lowering the stress going into that game was just the fact that we watched Baylor lose to Iowa State right before the K-State game. So you already knew you were in the top three seeds. And what was important to, I think, all of us was to get out of KU's session and that side of the bracket. And you knew going into that game you were already out of that at that point. And the Texas-KU game was still to follow. You could still get to a two seed, but at the worst, you were going to be a three. And then Oklahoma ends up beating TCU by 14. So then you get Iowa State out of K-State's side of the bracket, which I know a lot of people didn't mind playing Iowa State, but it definitely makes for what should be a more affordable ticket. Uh, to the Session 3 Thursday night for the K-State game, I'm still holding off on buying, but uh, I'm gonna wait and see if they drop some more, but yeah, I mean, I think that also
2: lowered the anxiety going into that West Virginia game as well. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I, I believe me, I get it, and I would lean to the side of, like, I would rather, I would certainly rather avoid Kansas in the second game, like, what make it if you're gonna play Kansas, playing in the championship game. Uh, I'm pretty much always in favor of that, but Iowa State, yes, it, it would have been very annoying to have to play them with their their fans enjoying uh, sandals, Kansas City, sandals, power, and light uh, heading over to the game. I just, I, at the same time, I'm not, I am not, don't stress nearly as much about the draw in the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament as a lot of people seem to be right now. I, I'm kind of just like, look, they've they've done enough to put themselves in a really good position, and no matter what, it's going to be really difficult. I guess to focus that down to the Big 12 tournament, I heard Jerome Tang actually make this point Earlier this week in his press conference, you know, he's kind of asked about TCU and thoughts on playing them and how that game goes, and he was sort of just like, I mean, yeah, like, look, TCU, I think when they're healthy and they're as talented as anybody in the league, but any game here was going to be tough. Like, who you know, you can try and sit there and splice together your perfect road in the Big 12 tournament, but, like, there's not one. Like, there was so much parity. The last weekend displayed it, right, with with Iowa State smacking Baylor, Oklahoma smacking TCU, K-State losing at West Virginia. It's just that there's no there's no easy path. You could rearrange those any way you want. TCU, I guess, I don't really know exactly what to make of them here at this point, but they do have that really, really high potential, a high ceiling, and we saw that in Fort Worth earlier this year. So, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I don't even really battle that much fatigue of playing TCU in the Big 12 tournament, even though it's, it's happened quite a bit recently.
3: I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I definitely agree with you on the Big 12 tournament side of things. Uh, Whether you play Iowa State or you play TCU, I don't know that it really matters. Iowa State usually elevates their game in Kansas City anyways, and I know TCU has one of the higher upsides. I I do think when you get down to the Big 12 tournament and your draw, you're probably um, grasping at straws a little bit, trying to quibble about what's a better draw and what isn't. I think Cole already nailed nailed it. Uh, I think the the biggest thing in terms of draw, I really think the only differentiator was becoming a two or a three seat and and not having to play KU, who, you know, has separated themselves from the rest of the Big Twelve, which is saying something because it is perhaps the best Big Twelve ever, and Kansas has separated themselves from everyone else. So that getting to avoid them until the final, I think, is huge. Now, I will say the NCAA tournament draw, I do view as a little bit more important. And, and we could probably get into it later, but I've kind of crudged, you know, a lot of the resumes together and, and everything. And to feel comfortable about playing in one of the nearby locations, and obviously that's Des Moines or Denver, to feel comfortable, I think Kansas State needs to probably win one in Kansas City.
4: Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree, DY. And, and as I look at the actual Big 12 tournament, like the differentiators between Iowa State and TCU are really, I think, neutralized by TCU is going to have no fans there. Iowa State would add eight, 9,000. K State's going to have a significant home court advantage uh, in this game. TCU's better than Iowa State in my mind, even though TCU did get swept by the Cyclones. So, I mean, I think they're a better team. But Iowa State also showed you on Saturday what they can do when they're on, right? They went down to Baylor and dominated that game really from start to finish and won by 15 points. So, uh, and maybe they're getting going here right before they come to Kansas City at the right time. You mentioned it, John, they play well here. So I don't, I don't mind playing TCU. I know that they can be one of the top 15 teams in America with Mike Miles back. I certainly think they can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, but K-State split the season matchup. I know Miles wasn't there in the, the second game, but I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched when you look at the overall picture, and then the home court advantage maybe tilts things slightly
2: to K-State's favor. I, is, is Iowa State... I, I would maybe make a case that Iowa State could be better now that they have this Caleb Rill thing behind them. Isn't that a possibility Absolutely. out there? Because, I mean, he's he's been a distraction throughout a lot of the year, whether it's been injury or undercutting a guy out on the court and, like... Certainly, I'm very empathetic to him when it comes to mental health struggles, but it, it just is clear that like that, that had been something that was not working very well for them this year.
3: I don't think it was a coincidence that Iowa State played their best basketball when uh, the game immediately after releasing Caleb Grill and, or cutting him, you know, ruining him, kicking him off the team, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's a coincidence that they played a really good game and beat a really good team on the road, mind you. Uh, so those are that's one of the two items that I, I wanted to cover there. And as good as TCU is, and they are really good when they are playing their best basketball, and this, is, uh, this isn't easy to do, but the way to beat them is already no, right? That, I mean, they're the worst shooting team in the Big 12, or at least one of them, uh, or close to it, right? And they are so dependent upon the fast break. Now, they're super good at it. They might be the best in the country at it. But guess what? You don't get to go to your best weapon unless the other team's turning it over. So it sounds, it's easier said than done, but the book is out. Everyone knows how to beat TCU. Take care of the ball, and you really limit their effectiveness.
4: Yeah, they, I mean, they have games where they'll catch fire a little bit from three. Look at the game in Lawrence when they shot it well, and there's been some other games this year. But more often than not, you give them the three-point shot, and you're going to have an advantage there. And K-State's done it. They, they did it especially in Manhattan where they sagged off Now, I know know they didn't have Miles, but Miles is 32.6% from three this year. He's not even a great three-point shooter. Uh, TCU, you mentioned, D.Y., they're 353rd out of 363 teams in three-point percentage on offense at 29.6%, I believe. And in the two matchups this year between K-State and TCU, TCU shooting a combined six of 36 from three, 16.7%. So SAG off, make them take jumpers, make them take long twos, take threes. Uh, rebound the basketball, get after it on the offensive rebounding because they are a top 25 offensive rebounding percentage team. Uh, You got to capitalize when you get the stops and the missed shot goes up. But yeah, if you can take care of the basketball, which they didn't do in the first matchup, they had 20 turnovers to TCU's 10. But in the second matchup, TCU had 19 turnovers to K-State's 15. Take care of the ball. Don't let them get out and run in transition because they're one of the fastest and most athletic teams in the country. You can do that.
2: You have a really good chance to beat them. It's interesting to hear how Jerome Tang talk about like, hey, the, the first matchup, obviously they got out and ran all over the place. The second matchup when they didn't have Miles and Lampkin was really limited. I mean, frankly, I think hurt them when he was out there on the floor in that game, that they they did try to slow the tempo down a little bit more. They weren't quite as as frenzied and quite as much in that mode. Um, and it's it's easy to get sucked into remembering like the last two or three minutes of that game and how crazy it was, but it was it was a pretty uh tooth and nail game before that, so I guess the the question I have bigger picture with the Big 12 tournament is because I know another thing Jerome Tang said recently is that coaches privately at times would admit they'd they kind of like to be one and done or one and two and done in the Big 12 tournament. almost prefer that to not get your legs all tired playing these intense games. Because, I mean, if you think about it, K-State's staring down a road of, like, if you're making it to the championship game of this thing, you're playing TCU, Texas, and Kansas back to back to back, right? I mean, that's You've already gone through this. We know this is the best league in America this year, and maybe one of the best leagues ever, and you've gone through 18 games of that. Do you do you really need the mileage of three more of those in three days before you go to the NCAA tournament? I mean, to me, it's it's a legitimate debate. Uh, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say, like, hey, I'm rooting for them to lose. I certainly would like to win the first game. I mean, I, I paid money for a ticket uh, to the first game, so I, I certainly would like to win that. But I go into it kind of like the West Virginia game with an attitude of, like, you know, I want to see him play well. I want to see him do well. It'd be cool to win the Big 12 tournament. But at the same time, I will be far from heartbroken if uh, if this doesn't turn into a, a long weekend in Kansas City.
3: I will say, while Jerome Tang did have those comments, uh, he has had a really good pulse of this team. Uh, he, he might have taken his foot off the accelerator a little too late, and I think he would probably admit to that. Um, and I think he realized that after the Oklahoma and Texas Tech losses on the road. But other than that, he's really had the pulse of this team. And while he said those comments about, yeah, so secret coaches would like to be one and done or, or at least two and done in Kansas City and value the rest rather than the additional games, he he flat out said that this team would, would take more value and be more benefited by winning it, by winning the three games in three days. So for a guy that's really had the pulse of his team pretty well, uh, I think he's really in tune to his players. I would probably relent to him and his opinion here, and he certainly thinks that... And and with that, I will say that this team is kind of a... I wouldn't say emotional, but they, they, they kind of ride the waves. And I think going in with a pretty clear positive mind would be pretty beneficial for this team. So I understand where Jerome thinks coming from and probably would, would uh, adhere to that. And I do think especially if you play Friday. I mean, if you're playing Friday in Denver, and now Th- Des Moines Thursday, but if you're playing Friday in Denver, and you're, and even if you win the championship, you play Saturday night, I mean, I'm, that's almost a full week. They, they can get two or three days off.
1: You're listening to the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas
0: City, KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
4: Three winning three games in three days. If you actually do it against the competition that John just outlined, you you probably jump to a two seed in my mind. I mean, is there a huge difference between a two and a three? I mean, I don't I don't think there's a gigantic difference. And uh, but you know, location also matters. And Dui, I know you've crunched a lot of the numbers on that. But you know, you look at the TCU game in itself. Yeah, you look at the TCU game in itself. If you win that, you get your tenth quad one win. Um, you kind of separate from Gonzaga a little bit. They have six quad one wins. You get your 10th. Uh, I think that certainly helps. Now, you can also see that TCU uh, is 28th in the net currently. So if K-State beats them, do they fall below 30, which would then take the home game in Manhattan where they beat TCU and make it a quad two win. If TCU falls beneath the 30 mark, we'll, we'll see. The neutral court one would, no matter what, be a quad one win because you just have to be top 50 on a neutral court in the net to be a quad one. Uh, Look, you beat TCU, then you play at Texas, potentially. You're only bolstering your strength of schedule more, right? Win or lose. Um, You're adding another top 10 quad one game uh, to your resume. Even if you lose it, your strength of schedule might go up a spot or two. So, yeah, I want to get out of Thursday night. It makes the Big 12 tournament more fun to at least have Friday to look forward to. But after that, uh, like I've said before, I was at the Iowa State game in 19 when K-State was, you know, the one seed, and they played Iowa State the four or the five in that Friday night game, and K-State was up four or five points with four or five minutes left. And it really sucked losing that game because of the Iowa State fans around that were just obnoxious. Uh, but I wasn't that heartbroken because that team was so beat up. You know, Dean Wade was already out. Sneed had gotten beaten up in that game Barry. Um, that I thought they could use the rest. Now, it didn't pay off. They lost to Irvine in the first round, but uh, that's kind of how I go into it, is get out of Thursday, get another quad one win, and then whatever happens, Friday happens. It'd be fun to beat Texas again and DY. I don't know. like Texas has 11 quad one wins. K-State beat TCU and they beat Texas. They both have 11 quad one wins, and K-State would have beat them on a neutral court and in Austin, and I don't know. like Could that boost K-State above Texas? and the seating location.
3: I, 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 I mean, I've I, like I said, I've done a lot of this. And I will just say that there is a gap uh, after the three teams. There's it's The top three is all in a kind of a group where it's pretty indistinguishable, and it's Kansas, Alabama, and Houston. Then the next group that's pretty indistinguishable, in the four or five, is UCLA and Purdue. And then the next one is six, seven. And I know it's going to sound crazy to Kansas State fans because they swept one of these teams, but it's Texas and Baylor. I think it's just because of the work that they did in the non-conference. Their metrics are a lot better. They have more quad one wins. Baylor doesn't have a quad two loss. Kansas State does. So, it's straight the schedule is is heavily in those two teams' favor too. That's why they have a decidedly better resume, as it stands. Now, if Kansas State wins the NCAA or Big Fall Tournament, can that change? Maybe with the Baylor part, if he can beat, and especially if he can beat Baylor a third time. I just don't see them jumping Texas. I, I don't know if there's really anything they can do unless Texas, were to lose to Oklahoma and it'd be a quad two loss, but I don't think that it is because it's a neutral side game. So I just, it's it's hard to see that happening because like the biggest changes to anyone's resume the rest of the way, and people don't understand this, like the metrics aren't going to change right now. If a, a big win or a big loss is not going to make you jump seven spots in the net or strength the record or anything, those things aren't going to change. Strength The schedule is really not going to change a lot of these things that are on the team sheet that the committee is going to consider are already baked in the only thing that's really going to change a lot between now and the time that they release the bracket is a quad one win or a quad two loss. and are those little things enough to jump one team over another in a conference tournament we saw last year when the committee came out with the bracket it wasn't tennessee went super scorching hot won the sec tournament beat a lot of good teams and they didn't even get a two seed. they were a three seed in the NCAA tournament last year and everyone thought they would be a two seed so conference tournaments the last few years and i understand why they just have not moved the needle much at all so i don't know they can't say can really go up much but guess what i don't think they can go really down much either it would they're they're more likely to be a two seed than a four seed still
4: well Gonzaga just moved from nine to six in the net because they blew the doors off of St. Mary's which is one of the most overvalued teams in the analytics and metrics in America and beat them by 26 last night so you know now they're top six in the net do they have do they have an advantage that their conference tournament ended on Tuesday night and the committee has more time to look at them uh and what they've done I don't know uh but you're right I mean most of the that
3: is one of the teams that Kansas State is very much alike resume-wise because um, I, I was going to get into that next group. To me, it's 8-11, to 11, and it's Arizona, Kansas State, Marquette, and Gonzaga. They're all very, very similar. So maybe that little thing right there boosts Gonzaga just a little bit. Like I said, that, that those are one of the reasons why Kansas State kind of needs to go up one, right? Because if you fall below all of those teams, Arizona, Marquette, and Gonzaga, you're probably playing in Columbus or Orlando. Um, and obviously that's not something that you would want to do. Now, to drop to a four seed, you have to drop below 12, right, Uh, the way that it goes, how they rank them, uh, because teams ninth through twelfth are three seeds. Now, if Kansas State were to drop to that, I think that would require Kansas State being one and done, and then UConn doing really well in the tournament because they're not too far behind Kansas State, or Tennessee doing well in the SEC tournament and showing that they can play really, really well without Zakai Ziegler
2: couple of thoughts come to mind here. Um, I understand the Baylor-Texas thing. I know that's hard for some people to get through their head, but like the committee is not viewing it just as solely like, hey, you swept this team. They've, they've got to take the total picture of everybody because if you started doing comparisons to every single team, it it would not work out. Uh, I also just I feel fairly resigned to, hey, they're probably going to be a three. I mean, unless maybe you win the Big fall tournament, probably going to be a three. But the, the caveat to that would be, They got a lot more respect from the committee when that top 16 came out, which was right before K-State won four or five than I was anticipating with them being a three then. So it is very much possible that the committee thinks higher of K-State than like Joe Lenardi does uh, right now. And we'll see the classic like, you know, 10 minutes before the bracket comes out, Lenardi switches things up and all of a sudden K-State vaults up a couple of lines. Um, because that's that's just what happens. I'm not sure. I guess the point being, like, I'm not sure how much he really knows. Now, Jerry Palm still has K-State as a two. I feel like that would be more in line with like what the committee thought of them, what was that, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, when, when the 16 dropped? So that's kind of my very, it's very rudimentary analysis here, but it's also sort of why I just throw my hands up and I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to worry stressing too much about it all because a, a two-seed or a three-seed seems great. Uh, I'm fine. I'll yeah. take it. I don't think there's risk of dropping to a four. So I'm just like, look, it, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. They've put themselves in a great position. It's kind of an, I mean, it's always an exhibition sort of tournament at the Big 12 tournament anyway, but it feels more and more like that these years. So I'm gonna just go have fun, enjoy it, enjoy watching this team play, enjoy the spectacle of the Big 12 tournament, and then let let the cards fall where they may as far as the NCAA attorney goes.
3: Yeah, to me, it's not so much. Uh, what seed you are Although if you're a four It's more about where you're playing In the first and second round Because I think those New things Do apply advantages So I think Playing in Denver or Des Moines Is important For Kansas State I mean there's a reason Why they played better When they have a crowd advantage Heck A lot when At the end of the game They had a crowd advantage uh, So to speak So I do think Those things matter uh, It's possible That they are a two right now I'm not going to discredit That jury poem um, Because To me like I said, they're right there with Arizona Marquette and Gonzaga. And if you have Kansas State number one out of those four, then they are the worst two seed. So that is very much in play. Um I have Kansas State number nine, just a touch ahead of Marquette and Gonzaga. Um and I'd have to look at it what it would it means if now that Gonzaga has even more um on the resume, but I, I really don't know if these conference tournaments are gonna move the needle terribly much unless you get a quad two or quad three loss. That's what I'm saying. I think the only way the conference tournaments really dictate movement on the NCAA tournament is if you have an early exit to a really bad team. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think location matters because location is, you, you get on these really neutral courts in the NCAA tournament, right, where you're far away from home, and that's when a lot of the upsets happen because if you don't have your fans there to lift you up, the rest of the arena, when the underdog is staying within arm's length as the game goes on, all the opposing fans start to pull for that team and you can sense the nervous energy in the arena and that the momentum pickup. So I do think like if you're playing in like in Orlando or in Albany or far away from home, you know, you're gonna have all of the other teams. If you're playing, if you're playing LaSalle in Kansas City, well, you know, I well, mean, that, yeah. Well, and, you know, I would argue, John, that the crowd is really what brought K back in that game to come right. all the way back from that. I mean, that place was roaring. Um, and otherwise they're probably dead in the water. Now, what I was gonna say is, oh, I was just gonna say, dy, that like now, if you're in Des Moines and Creighton is your six seed opponent, and they're two hours from campus in Omaha, then it kind of it really neutralizes that. And I think it would suck to have to play a preseason top ten team that's number fourteen in Ken Palm and number twelve in the net as a six seed. You know, that kind of feels like K State getting Kentucky in the eight nine in St. Louis a few years ago or ten years ago when they played them, and that Kentucky made it to the national title.
3: Yeah, well, that's why I've said all along the best-case scenario might actually be Denver because there's there's also a scenario where you're sharing Denver with Baylor, and guess what? Baylor's going to be a bunch of Kansas State fans too because they love Jerome Tate. So I wouldn't mind Denver, and that's why I thought that they would make best-case scenario for the Wildcats. You know what best-case scenario also is if you want to know, like, what to root for or against in the upcoming conference tournaments? Look, Gonzaga's already done. They won the conference tournament. Uh, Texas and Baylor, they're not going to have any bad losses because they play in the Big 12 tournament and there's no Quad 2 game in Kansas City. So um, that's just the way it is. But if you want to m- ensure maybe Denver or Des Moines, Arizona and Marquette, I'm guessing their first conference tournament game will be Quad 2. I don't know that they'll have Quad 1 games all the way through. I, I really doubt it from a Pac-12 and Big East perspective. So having Arizona or Marquette lose that first game would be pretty huge for the Wild. yeah.
2: Yeah, I get it. Cole. How good was uh, I mean, what I, I just Case they played Jimmer in the round of thirty-two, right now at, at Oklahoma City. I mean, K-State had a crowd advantage there back in the two thousand nine, two thousand ten year. But like that was that was a pretty damn good team and a hyped up team yeah. out there, and um, you know, fell behind ten to nothing, but then handled them pretty well from from that point. So I, I don't know. You guys are making very good points. Like I completely under, I get it. I do get it. Although I think the but. The road struggles of this team have been over-exaggerated because it's it's the goddamn Big 12. I agree, won the third most road games of anybody in the yeah. Big 12 this year, and they won in Austin and Waco. So I get a little annoyed with people like, oh, the road struggles this team. Team. You know, it, It's going to be different at a neutral site playing teams outside of the Big 12. I think that will will really help. Um, but yes, they clearly are a much better team at home, and with the fan support and that stuff would be great. And yet, the thing that, of all the scenarios you guys just laid out, to me, the one that I would want to avoid the most is playing Creighton in Des Moines. That, that I think is the worst case scenario of anything that's like in the realm of possibility right now.
3: I agree from a from a competitive and performance standpoint. Of
4: course, I wouldn't want that game. Hard, or even if it's Iowa, right? Iowa would flood Des Moines. Iowa I, I got swept by Nebraska, D.Y. They got, they lost both games in Nebraska this year. Got that. Yeah,
3: but I, I would still want
4: that into state fans. To have I know. A up- yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, but I will uh, say thing is like, if worst case scenario ends up being Columbus, like I'll just tell everyone where to go and we'll have a good time. Right. right. So, I mean, I, I know where, right. I know where we need to be if we're playing in Columbus. So to be honest, as a last resort, I would be able to stomach Columbus just because of, you know, my experience, obviously just, I don't want to go to Albany or Orlando. Like, I don't know what the hell is in Albany, Albany,
4: New York right now, this time of year. I don't think anyone wants to be there. Uh, I don't want to go back to Sacramento either. After uh, K State played Cincinnati there, if you, I don't want to go back to the state of California. Bad bad vibes have happened in California for you. Yeah, San Jose, Sacramento. Uh, uh John, do you Sacramento. What is not a Sacramento is not possible. No, I know. Yeah, uh, John, to your point about BYU, I was actually looking this up the other day because I was curious about the 2010 seedings, like K- who K State played and how they were evaluated in the metrics. And so, if you look at Ken Palm. BYU was the number 10 team in the country. And they got them as a seven seed, K-State did in that game. And then Xavier, who was a six seed, was number 18 in the country in Ken Palm. So you actually got a harder draw via Ken Palm in the the second round game that you did in the Sweet 16 game. And then Butler was ranked number 12 in Ken Palm. So actually, the second round game via Ken Palm was your toughest game in terms of the efficiency metrics. So yeah, I mean, look, you're going to play a good team in that second-round game, especially there, there's more parity in basketball right now. Every team has flaws, and so you could lose any given night. And when you look at, like, the six and the seven seeds, like Iowa, Michigan State, Kentucky, I mean, the, whoever you're playing, it, it's going to be difficult because those are all very talented teams. By the way, UConn could be
3: a
2: freaking handful as a four or a five seed for someone. I think they're top five in Kemba. I guess I also just sort of I also just sort of view it, Cole, like you also just never know what's gonna happen and we can you know, to your point about all the parody and all that, like we can sit here and get really wound up about what the possibilities are, but then you have years like yeah, win two Big Twelve you win a Big Twelve championship, you're going up against a play in game winner in freaking Kansas City and you lose to LaSalle. Or on the other side, everybody's wanted Bruce Fired the entire year, you think it's basically going to be the end but they get into the ncaa tournament and then you have the first one seed loss in ncaa tournament history ahead of you and all of a sudden you're in the sweet 16 and without dean wade you go beat freaking kentucky uh to get to the elite a so like it just yeah i don't know i just kind of throw my hands up a little bit at it like i can sit here and spin my wheels and get real worried and upset about every little thing but like i, I mean i've watched kansas enough to know that this is kind of how it works right And and jerome tang has made this point a lot and it's great It's like, the idea is to have a team good enough to compete for the Big 12 every single year, which means you'll have a team good enough to compete for a national championship every single year, and you just let the cards fall where they may, right? I mean, Bill Self last year, nobody would say that that was his best team or one of his two best teams at Kansas, but they won the national championship. The team, I saw Ali Faroukmanesh highlights going across social media the other day. Shout out to whoever did that. We'll always love that. Uh, that Kansas team was like number one the entire year. Sharon Collins, Cole Alder, like they were incredible. They won in Manhattan over the 2009-2010 K State team with Game Day there. They went out and farted out a loss to Northern Iowa in the in the second round. It's just that's just kind of how it goes. I'm just like, look, get be a good enough team to have a high seed every year in the NCAA tournament, and at some point, it'll take care of itself. Uh, no matter how how good you actually are or aren't, as we've seen with like Bill Self yeah.
1: You're listening to the fastest-growing sports media network in Kansas City, KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. entertain educate inform kc sports network
3: but, but don't dismiss the content john we're content creators
4: <laughs> well well i get that yes i too, i get that i mean you're, you're right john it's a crapshoot like a lot of it is matchup driven some teams you're going to match up better against than others in the ncaa tournament and but it's also there's some teams just catch fire. I mean, in basketball, you can have an on night and shots are falling and the momentum builds and and you start to get frustrated and uh, the pressure builds as a better seed in the NCAA tournament. So I, I completely agree with that. I mean, all you have to look at is what you mentioned with the Kentucky game without Dean Wade. That was a Kentucky team that had seven or eight guys that are in the NBA now um, or have played in the NBA since between Knox and Washington and all of those guys, even Hamadou ballo or I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but I mean, they had so many dudes that uh went on to play in the NBA and K State's out there with Ahmad Wainwright grabbing a rebound in the last minute of the game to go to the free throw line to to potentially ice the game. So yeah, and Mike McGurl out there. So yeah, you, you never know what's gonna happen in the tournament. So yeah, it's uh it's great for content and to talk about it and it's fun to it's sure fun to talk about it and be relevant in March than be irrelevant and have nothing to look forward to. But at the end of the day, nope. they just gotta go play yeah. well. And that was the same same Kansas State team that needed
3: Mike McGurl played very little all year to beat Creighton in the uh first round.
2: Yeah, like I remember going into that game, like, all right, if they lose this game, the voices are still gonna be pretty loud here about Bruce, like how much longer is it gonna last? There. And then they rip off that <laughs> whole run uh to go to the Elite Eight and everything changed as they they parlay that into a big twelve championship. So yeah. Point being, you want to program. I mean, the whole deal with the NCAA tournament, it is just it is not the NFL playoffs where the cream's gonna rise to the top, uh, or the NBA playoffs where the cream's gonna rise to the top. You you've just gotta have a team good enough to be a high seed and, and let it go every single year. Well
4: essentially. And Jerome Tang knows firsthand, and this isn't to put bad vibes on anything, but you know, at Baylor, they lost to Yale as a three seed in the three fourteen, and they lost to Georgia State in the three fourteen. You know, when Georgia State hit that deep three, whatever, and Hunter fell, the coach fell out of his yeah. chair. They've had some some very talented teams instead of one. Now, I'm not putting those vibes on Kansas State. I'm just saying that, like, that that's just another example of, you know, wh- what can happen in the tournament. And I, there was that one year where, what, like three two-seeds went out by before the second weekend. So any, anything can happen. And uh, if you can get to the second weekend, in the NCAA tournament this year, I think you feel, you just feel great about the year because getting to that second weekend means you're getting talked about another week on the national scene and you have something to look forward to. And so it does make me respect more what like KU's done over the years, right? Because when I watch KU, I'm like, oh, they got, they're they're playing Providence in the Sweet 16, a four or five seed. Like that's an easy draw for them. But in reality, if that was K-State playing that team, I'd be stressed the hell out. And, uh,
2: you know, it's hard to win in the tournament. Well, and, and again, I it's would just say, like, some of that's about just being there every year. Like, if you're there every year, sometimes you get a kiss and Virginia loses to UMBC. And then some years you don't get a kiss and you're at an 8-9 game with Kentucky uh, in the first round. who goes on to the final four to just pull from K-State example. So, yeah, it's even just about how the, the bracket breaks around you. Uh I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the All Big 12 awards, right? So Jerome Tang is your Big 12 coach of the year. Uh that came from both coaches and the media uh correct at this point, right? We got the media award list and he he got them both. Uh which very <laughs> very, very glad to see that. Uh very glad to see that for not even really the the bill self reason um because like I get it, like I understand that one. But it was like to me, you know, this is probably more hits home more to us in Kansas City. Being around three local schools that get talked about a lot because they're all three having pretty good seasons, Um, and the only reason I have to put the qualifier pretty in front of there is thanks to our friends in Columbia, Missouri. But that's exactly my point. Like, everything gets lumped into, like, oh, you have these three amazing coaches. They all could be National Coach of the Year. The SEC chose co-coaches of the year, neither of which was Dennis Gates. Neither of which was Dennis Gates. And it, thank you. I could not, if I could just thank you to the SEC coaches uh, for doing that and and humbling the Tigers a little bit here. Like, it just, the way I hear it talked about, like, on the radio around Kansas City, it's always lumping them into the same, you know, Tang and Gates, like, both doing this incredible job, this equally incredible job. And I'm like, no, the hell out of here with that. Like, Dennis Gates did a good job. Jerome Tang did an unbelievable job. I mean, there's... In the words of Meek Mill, there's levels to this shit, and they're on a different level. Mizzou is a different level than what Jerome Tang did this year. Like, what? It's so annoying. That has been one of the most annoying storylines to me being a, a Kansas in here throughout the basketball season. So Tang actually able to take those home over Self, which I would have understood the Self thing, but uh, to be able to get those... And then have that happen to Dennis Gates. I, I had to, I had to crack a smile. And it's nothing against Dennis Gates personally. It's, it's mainly the hellscape of Missouri fans. But that, that's, that's, that's where I'm at.
3: Okay, my comment will be this: guys, I, I seen the the whole thing. It was like, well, Kansas State is a quad two loss. Missouri doesn't have a quad two loss. Okay, here. Okay, if we're gonna do that, that whole thing, talking point, I mean. good. I know, I know. So I'm going to clap back a little bit. Okay, well, we both played KU at home. If we're going to take these, like, minimal details and try to apply it to an award. One got 40 balled at home and one won.
4: Uh, you guys saw um, some of the pushback I got on Saturday. I, I know how you feel about this, goal. The whole world knows how you feel about this. Yeah, uh, I mean, I... Well, I'll, I just won't really get into it too much, but I, I mean, I thought it was... I thought it was joking, um, but then I got some pushback from another Missouri person who uh, who laughed at me for using Ken Palm and uh, the net. Now I'm not I'm not going after Tucker really, even uh, there was somebody else that was going
2: after I see Jordan's note here. I love Tucker. Yeah. Yes, I hit him with the little Grant post mortem laughing, which you know, all in good fun, right? Justified, and I feel like Tucker was was digging at K State fans a little bit there, which I get it. Mizzou athletics has been. I just can I say the F word dreadful has been dreadful for a very long time. And they finally have, you know, after a terrible football season where their coach has just embarrassed himself on and off the field, they finally have a nice little, hey, we're going to the NCAA tournament. So I get it. I get it. Why you would want to, you know, be proud of it and defend your guy. I understand. But it is a ludicrous comparison and very much rooted in just fan stuff. But Tucker is not the reason that you guys know I've been talking to you about this long before. Uh, T- Tucker's tweet the other day, like I listen to, and I love the, the, the shows that I do listen to in Kansas City, Kansas City Sports Talk Radio, but I just so often hear it lumped into Gates and Tang, Gates and Tang, Gates and Tang, and I was like, look, one guy is plodding along and is going to be like a seven seed, and that's great, and another guy has been flirting with a one seed after being picked dead last with only two players. So I, yeah, yeah, I don't, and I saw the, I don't know this situation well enough, but the argument that I kept seeing that was driving me nuts was, wait. Dennis Gates inherited a worse situation. I mean, like I wasn't a zoo in the tournament a couple of years ago. I mean, Kwanzaa wasn't great, but I, you know, I mean, whatsoever. That was three years of last or next to last. They were like twenty games under five hundred overall record for a three year stretch. Like they, I mean, they were bad, bad. And then the only thing they had last year was Nigel Packett. he left for nice cars in Miami. So <laughs> like, what?
4: Uh, I mean, all you all you could. Like, yeah, there was the pushback that Gates inherited a, a worse situation and I was flabbergasted at that. I mean, I don't really see any difference other than yeah, the only thing is K-State's had higher levels of success recently. If you go back to 19 and winning a Big 12 title, Kwanzaa Martin was more like, you know, get in as like a nine or 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. When I mean, you're too far removed from what Dennis Gates is freaking doing this well, year. Well, no, you're right. And and so it's a uh, marquee, the Missouri returned Kobe Brown, a really good player. K State returned Marquise Noel, a really good player. And there was really nobody else. And so it, to me, it's, it's, there's not much difference in it. And uh, like, look, co coaches of the year in the SEC, Jerry Stackhouse's Vanderbilt Commodores, that are 81 in Ken Palm and 83rd in the net right now, got co coach of the year. All right. So. Uh, and they were better last year, as KSU underscore fan pointed out to us. I think they were sixty-fourth and Ken
2: Palm last year, Vanderbilt. So they actually are worse and he got co-coach of the year. Well, and I, I heard this I was I was listening to Gary Parrish um on with Seren. Um and I mean I love that is one of my favorite segments of the week to listen to on Kansas City Sports Talk Radio. But it, he did say he was like, Hey, I I mean he said he thought felt like Dennis Gates got a little disrespected there. But he also made the point he was like, if the Brandon Miller stuff wasn't going on in Alabama he said, like, Nate Oates, like, they were, like, a back end of the top 25 preseason team, right? Like, at Bama, and then they've been sitting here as, you know, the best team in the country, arguably, for a good chunk of the year. It was like, if not for that, and Nate Oates and the handling of it and all that stuff, which obviously has been dreadful, but if not for that, like, it could be Dennis Gates could have finished fourth in the SEC. So, I mean, hey, congrats on being the fourth best coach in the SEC. That's great. I'm happy for you, Mizzou. I have a – sorry to cut in here with a different topic – I just
3: got someone like to me off here. The reason why, so I was been confused why Houston has been in Columbus in the last couple of Leonardy brackets. It's because not all four number one seeds can be on the same day. So Houston might be screwed if they are the third one seed and they might get to ship to Columbus instead of Birmingham because of that. That happens. Texas can go to Birmingham and Kansas State does have a clearer path to Denver or Des
4: Moines. Oh, well, okay. Good work, D.Y. Um, that, uh, I, and I don't, it'd be interesting where they put Houston. Uh, I don't, I don't know where they had him in the Midwest and the bracket reveal. And, uh, you know, like we talked about, K State was number 12 overall in the bracket reveal and the seeding, the the worst three seed, but they added three right. quad one wins and a quad two since. So,
3: right, yeah. I guess it's just first and second round location because if UCLA is in Sacramento, yeah. Um, Alabama is in Birmingham. What am I other one? Kansas is in Des Moines. Then they would all be Thursday, Saturday, and they can't do. That.
4: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Look, this is this seating stuff is way more complicated than I ever realized. Uh, you know, I just thought they just I, I I didn't know any like all these different things that they have to look at. Um, but anyways, that, that's interesting. And and John, like the bottom line is Jerome Tang is the Big 12 Coach of the Year and uh, will probably get a lot of National Coach of the Year awards as a result if he's getting it at his own conference over Bill Self, who I think is probably one of the bigger contenders for National Coach of the Year as well. I think he's probably going to get a lot of National Coach of the Year awards and just a remarkable job uh, and a great time to be a Kansas State fan with what Chris Kleiman's done on the football field this year and then Jerome Tang on the basketball court. I mean, on the hardwood, it, it's it's pretty special to have a top-10 football program and, and arguably a top-10 basketball program in the
2: same season. Same year. Yeah, yeah. It's Shaka Smart, you know, I mean, I heard, I think, Gary Perry said the other day yeah, that Shaka Smart would be number two. It's done a nice Bill, job. Behind Bill Self for national Coach of the Year, so he had Tang third. So I, you may see Shaka Smart take home some of those two.
3: Yeah, to be honest, and I will say this, if Shaka Smart or Bill Self get National Coach of the Overdrive Tang on any of the publications, those those are ones that would be a little bit harder for me to argue against.
2: I mean, I'll argue against I'll argue against self, but uh, but I I understand it. Yes, like I, those are respectable, respectable choices. shotgun. That would be actually Shaka Does deserve a lot of clout. I'm not familiar enough. I, I honestly I have no real opinion. I just know that that's like the consensus thing. I get they won the Big East, right? So. Um,
4: and they're Monday- and they might get
3: a Mizzou yeah. as well. So
4: yeah,
2: and, and 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 on the Mizzou
4: topic, Tucker hears so much shit talking from us like during football season about Drankowitz that uh, I don't I don't blame him at all for uh, pushing out that tweet and uh,
2: baiting me into that. So uh, he he got me baited, and uh, well, I and would. Like, I also wouldn't assume that it was just about us. I think it's like you know K State fans as a whole. I mean, you know, on... yeah, no, no, I yeah, I I agree. Like I completely agree. I put him up. Twitter yeah.
1: down.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the rest of the all big 12 teams, Keontae and Marquise, both first team, they were not unanimous on the the coaches team. I think Keontae was on the AP, right? Um, so you at least got that, which makes sense. I understand how Marquise is more polarizing because of the the turnovers, that rough stretch that he went through for a big portion of the year, but I also understand like Jalen Wilson gets unanimous player of the year and Cole, I Cole, what is the case? I mean, I know you were kind of billing it, like there is a case. Uh, for Marquise Noel there too, at least you would have thought maybe siphoned off a vote or two.
4: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was surprised it was completely unanimous. And um, I think that's a bit laziness on some people's ends to do that. And I saw some people saying there's not really an argument at all for anybody but Jalen Wilson. And look, I, I think you can certainly make a strong case for others. I'm not going to argue Jalen Wilson is, you know, the Big 12 player of the year. He's on the league champ and, you know, his stats are very impressive. He's a really good player. He's an All-American. So I'm not going to dispute that, but to note that there's not an argument to be made would be just completely incorrect and laziness uh, because, yeah, Marquise has the sixth best assists per game in Big 12 history right now behind Doug Gottlieb, Trey Young, and TJ Ford in multiple seasons uh, with 7.7 assists per game. Uh, You know, you look at his numbers overall, leads the league in Big 12 play only in scoring uh, in assists, and steals. I think he's, he's averaging the highest steals per game in like nine or 10 seasons in the Big 12 uh, with 2.6 per game. Uh, so you could make an argument for him. Hell, you could make a really strong argument for Keontae Johnson, guys, when you look at the overall body of work because you look at Keontae, Jalen Wilson shot 41% from the floor this year and 33% from three, which aren't incredibly efficient numbers, especially for a forward. Now he goes out and shoots a lot of threes as well. Keontae Johnson finished second overall in the season in scoring at 17.8 points per game, was top five in rebounding uh, in the league, but he shot 52% from the floor compared to Jalen Wilson's 41%, and he shot nearly 43% from three compared to 33% for Jalen Wilson. And in fact, Keontae Johnson, if you looked at people and the players in the Big 12 that attempted at least 73s or more this year, Keontae attempted 99 his three point shooting percentage is the best of any player in the entire league at 42.4%. So I think a very strong argument can be made for Keontae just because of how much more efficient he was from a shooting perspective, and he got after it on the glass.
3: Yep. No, he's had a really good year. Um, I'll just, I know we're kind of going longer already than we thought, but I'll just t- toss in a little bit of my like head scratchers to me. Um, Kurt alluded to it very lightly, but. Marquise and Law and Keontae Johnson for the coaches not being unanimous all Big 12 first team, but Adam Flagler was. Um, I think that's
2: really That's Mike Boyden, right? We, we know it was we know it was Mike Boyden who left Keys off. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Yeah, that,
3: yeah Mike Boyden, Yeah, Mike Boyden after he lost against State kind of hinted that maybe Marquise is a second team, all Big Twelve players. So maybe that's him. But Flagler getting unanimous is a little interesting to me because it's like I you could have left Flagler off for Mike Miles. I think that would have been a lot easier to do. So that one's uh, a head-scratcher for me. Gabe Kalsher getting second team um, is a head-scratcher to me just because of the way that he performed in the last half of the year. His numbers did not scream second team. Kevin McCuller, in my opinion, did not scream third team. Heck, I would have gone with DeJuan Harris over Kevin McCuller for third team because, to me, Dewan Harris— was the key to Kansas just going off in the last half of the year, running away with the Big 12 championship. Yeah. Like, credit to Jill Wilson for getting Big 12 player of the year. But the the difference maker for Kansas in the second half, in my opinion, was Dewan Harris's play. So I would have won him. And then another award that I didn't think KU should have got was actually most improved player. Like, KJ Adams did improve a lot this year, but Mark Easton Wells, most improved player in the Big 12.
2: I was told that KJ Adams is uh, a complete albatross, and the fact that Bill Self was winning games with him. Uh, having to play as a starting forward was, uh, you know, the reason that he's the, – the coaching czar that he is. I, I Kansas fans have led me to believe that K.J. Adams couldn't walk and uh, chew gum at the same time. So I that is that is pretty remarkable to me that he winds up being most improved player in the league over Marquise Preak and Noel. But, you know, hey, I digress. Um, there was something else – oh, Cole, what was, what was Kansas' record without Jalen Wilson? That's the other thing, too. Like, I feel like that was the – where it's like Kansas – Function just as well, if not better, without Jalen Wilson, right? How's K-State functioning without Marquise Noel? I mean, God, thankfully, well, we never really had to find out. What, what was it? I, I, I sent it to you
4: guys. They, um, When he averaged, the, he went on that three-game stretch where he averaged uh, close to 30 points per game and, and shot the ball really well, like 50% from the floor. They went 0-3. They lost all three games. And then they've now won nine of their last ten. And in that time span, Wilson is shooting 37% from the floor. And around twenty nine percent from three. I that that
3: goes into my point. I think DeWan Harris is actually their div- difference maker, and I didn't. And credit to him because I did not give him enough respect at the beginning of this
4: year. I mean, I think he's the key to their their team. He makes everything go. And in the national championship last year, he was the one that really swung that game with his defense. It, it's his defense, and when he's you know, ability to hit the floater and drive in and score a little bit and hit an occasional three. I, I think he is the difference, and if he's playing well, they can they can get by teams. If he's having a bad game, like he did in Manhattan against K State, now I think he had 11 assists, but he, he didn't play
2: well. Um, you know, they struggle. Yep. Yeah, I've, I, J, Jalen Wilson to me is like a, he's just a little more vanity uh, than anything else. He's he's like a he's like a vanity choice from that team, which also, I don't know. I would be, I would love like Truth Serum and Bill Self. You know, get a couple Bill Self margaritas from the Salty Iguana and that guy, and uh, see see what he would tell us uh, about about who the the best player actually is on on the team and in the league. I'm Thank you. You
3: probably tell you, camera.
2: <laughs> that's that's a the, most, to our story. The
3: most, most important players are Harris, and th- to be honest, they really need to get greedy Dick going because he's he's kind of struggled
2: offensively. I was just gonna say, it feels like it, it, Dick has kind of faded a little bit, right? I mean. Yeah, and
4: is it, it, and is he projected as a lottery pick in the upcoming draft, Dick? Probably. He's a really toolsy guy.
2: I mean, I mean, I was gonna say I, I don't have I don't have any problem with that. I would. I think he's got a world of potential in the league for sure. I just uh, I think yeah. he's got to get
4: he, He's got to get stronger. He's got to be able to put the ball on the floor and create his own shot.
2: Like, I, and I, right now I don't see but that. He's, he's I was gonna say I've seen him do that, man. He drives to the rim. He dumps yeah. people. I, I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, he seems, to be honest,
3: he's at least like four or five times there would be a prospect that Christian Brown was. And Christian Brown still, I think, squeaked in the last half of the first round, if I remember correctly. I would be shocked if Grady Dick didn't go in the lottery. He's six seven, put on the floor and shoot at over 35% from three.
2: Cole, you know, I, that, that's been my guy. I mean, I loved Grady Dick from the second that I saw him playing this year in terms of just like who I thought was great on that team. So I, you're going to get pushback from me on that, but I get it. I get it. I mean I pushed back on I pushed back on you guys when
4: you were saying Grady Dick might be the best player in the league uh before Big 12 play and uh I was I don't want to toot my own horn here right. but I was clearly uh correct second that he had some he has some he, he's not anywhere close. Second team all the 12 though, right? You know. Second. I mean, well yeah, that's a lot different than I, I I was arguing with you guys. I was like I think Keontae is better. I mean, it, Keontae is better because he's a senior, right? I mean, you got a, you got a lot of veteran guys in this league that have been through it. Now, if Grady Dick played in this league for three or four years, yeah, he, he,
2: it would be insane what he could do, and here's, thank God he won't. There's one, re- one last point that I want to make on this. Uh, is there any, and I don't. this is just a thought that creeped into my head, but this is more like the paranoid, anxious fan in March, right? Mar- Marquise Noel was clearly motivated by the fact that he did not get Big 12 Player of the Year, right? We saw a tweet from him, we saw tweets from his brother uh, when they got the news about that. Is there any fear of Marquise getting into a mode of trying to press and do too much to get into like, hey, I've got to prove everybody wrong again because they didn't make me Big Twelve Player of the Year? That was a that was a brief, fleeting thought that popped into my mind because clearly the team this four or five stretch where they've been so much better, huge part of that has been him, as Jerome Tang would say, laying up for the single as opposed to trying to hit all runs.
3: I I think his brother probably. More so. So I don't think Marquise, I think he's kind of in a new spot in life where that those things, he's more about proving people right and people wrong. I really do. I think he's kind of turned a leaf in that way. Uh, on the reverse side, even if he hasn't, uh, Cole tweeted out this clip from us at Big 12 Media Days where he was kind of admitted that he felt scorned by not being given all Big 12 honors before the year. In the preseason selections where the the, that you know there was not a peep about him even on honorable mention, nothing, right? And he said he noted that. And you know what? The first seventy percent of this season, he was the big twelve player of the year run away. So maybe when he feels that way is actually when he plays his best basketball.
4: Cool. Yeah. No, I mean I, I agree. I mean, clearly he is a guy that thrives up being doubted. And he he said as much. And so if you criticize or doubt him or overlook him, he he seems to go to another level and play well. So uh, I think he takes it personal. And yeah, uh, so I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he takes things here in the postseason and to another level. Now, you don't want him to try and do too much, right? And, uh, you know, force the issue because that's when he can get a little bit of trouble. But uh, yeah, I I think he's certainly a guy that thrives off being doubted.
3: I don't worry about it anymore. I, re- I really don't. Okay.
2: All right. Well, I, I, as as I admitted, that was a, that was a bit of a paranoid thought by me. But uh, I think you guys make compelling case. Could work the exact opposite way, and, and it w- it would all be great. Uh, it's going to be tense times. Maybe not th- this week, but I, once we get through this week, I mean, yeah, it'll be really, really tense, really tense times.
3: When it comes to term, I'll, I want to make one last comment, and it's something I'm probably going to write about at some point. When it comes to Conference tournament, NCAA tournament, uh, difference makers, and what can kind of uplift certain teams over another is the ability of guard play. Guard play does well in a tournament. If you're you know, predicated on the bigs, um, it cannot go well for you at times. Just ask Purdue, and they're predicated on bigs every year, and they always exit early. So I don't know that there's another team in the country that has a second point guard as good as Desi Sills. So I wonder if that comes into play and really is a lift for Kansas State um, having two like Marquise Noel and Desi Sills is is rare. I mean, there'll be some teams that we're going to see, you know, in March that are kind of built that way. We're like, whoa, they have two really good guards too. But there's not going to be many, and Kansas State's going to be one of
4: them. D you got your uh, you got your binoculars for uh, the Big 12 tournament ready, so you can see the action down there from a thousand feet above up in the mountains. Yeah, that's going to be not as
3: that's going to take away the the term experience a bit for me I'm not going to lie but I'm not going to complain about it They're, they i think the problem for the Big 12 is that they better sell those damn tickets that they the, from those seats that they give away um, that were once ours because it doesn't sound like they are well I bought one so oh I'm sure well yeah it, you know what you you have a hefty salary because those things are about triple the price of what they should be
4: yeah. Uh, Brett Wormork was advised to not price them as high as he did by the league's athletic directors. And he did not listen to that and uh, perhaps undervalued what uh, or underestimated that people aren't willing to spend that type of money to
2: sit a little closer to the court. Man, Fat Joe just ain't what he used to be, I guess, is really what we've learned. You know, or,
3: or, or we'll see, let's, let's see how those Big Swap coaches uh, react to having those cameras in the huddle as well, because I'm sure he'll <laughs> love that.
2: Yeah. No, it'd be good for us. It'd be good for us. It'd be entertaining for us. Well, I'm not watching. Uh I mean I guess I, I really won't be either. I bought a ticket for the TCU game. I also have a credential, so you know, I'll probably mix it and match it. will would be a fun weekend, uh, here at KC.
3: one oh. question. Are you going to eat any of the team themed foods that are on the menu at the mm-hmm. T-Mobile Center?
4: Probably not. Nope No. Probably not. No, I'm 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 going what? to I'm going to eat before I get there. and uh, I mean, I don't have a ticket yet. Actually, I was joking, obviously, about the court side. So if anybody has any any tickets for me. No, nah, I'll, I'll wait it out on stuff. Up. I expect uh, if you're waiting, there's going to be a couple teams that lose here on Wednesday night in the tournament. That'll uh, It won't be a lot, but there'll be some dumping
2: tickets in the same tomorrow. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, our friends at Holiday Distillery bringing this beautiful podcast to you each and every week. Ben Holiday bottle and Bond Bourbon, 360 Vodka, whatever it is you need, they've got you covered. Get ready for the Big 12 Tournament in style with all of that. That's going to wrap it up for us. We appreciate the work of Jordan Foote uh, behind the scenes, as always. Special shout-out to our guy, Tucker. We love you, Tucker. We do. We we may not love Dennis Gates as much as you do, but we we do love you. Um, Appreciate everybody who helps make this uh, happen for you each and every week. Derek Young, Cole Manbeck, John Kurtz, signing off here. Thanks for listening to another episode of 3 Ball.